0: all of those who have stepped up this month and shared with us their own views and their own journeys of generosity. It has been a gift and a blessing to me and I know it has been to the congregation as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. By the 1980s, There was a significant portion of the American church that had become preoccupied, if not obsessed, with end time theology and the second coming of Jesus. They had been influenced by the teachings and interpretations of John Nelson Darby uh, in the late 1800s. And this theology had kind of bubbled its way up in the church for about 80 to 100 years. And by the 1980s, it was at the forefront of many people's minds. There were pastors uh, preaching, not only in their congregations, but on TV and on radio about the second coming of Christ all of the time. And in the late 1980s, in 1988, to be clear, there was an author who was both a pastor and a former NASA uh, engineer who wrote a book, and some of you may remember this, his name was uh, Edgar Wisnot, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he wrote a book entitled 88 Reasons That Christ Will Come Back in 1988. Now, of course, the close of 1988 came and Jesus did not come back and Edgar was kind of sitting there and so the only logical thing to do was to write a new book, 89 Reasons That Christ Will Come Back in 1989. And of course, that ended the same way. And Edgar continued to make predictions, pushing forward into 1993 and 1994 and 1995. And of course, not a new book each time, because less and less people listened as his predictions were wrong. But in 1995, and I believe the majority of us will remember this, the book Left Behind came onto the scene. And it was not just an American phenomenon, it was a worldwide, a global phenomenon. Uh, Two authors, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins wrote the first Left Behind book and released it in 1995 and it was followed after by something like seven or eight other books, this kind of fictitious uh, series about what might happen if Jesus were to come back, rapture all of the believers out, and what the world would be like in their absence. Now. The less or known part of this story is that along with this book series, there was also a VHS tape. Do you all remember these VHS tapes? That was released around the time of the first book, or maybe just prior. And it was a VHS tape called Left Behind, and I think it was called Just In Case or For Your Loved Ones. And the idea is you were supposed to leave it on your VCR in case you were raptured so that your loved ones would know what had happened that had a video message on it and what they needed to do to survive the days and months that were to come. I'm seeing your faces and that this is strange to you, but this was a huge part of popular culture. In fact, these books ended up becoming not only uh, a Christian series of movies, but also a major motion picture. This was a huge piece of the pop culture landscape for 10 or 15 years. Fast forward to 2011. This one sticks out to me the most because at this time I had moved to South Carolina. I was working as a hospice chaplain in a small town in South Carolina called Hartsville and the company that I worked for was located its headquarters in Columbia and there was a pastor and radio evangelist named Harold Camping who began to predict that the end of the world was about to come on May 21st, 2011, and that the rapture would happen on this particular day. This is his language. I can remember driving back and forth from Hartsville to Columbia for several months to go to a monthly training because along the highway, Harold had put up several billboards that in big, bold print said, Jesus is coming. Not too strange, but then underneath the bold print, there was a big digital clock counting down the moments in ominous red letters to the moment that Jesus would return. I can remember watching those months and days tick away as I made those drives, and I remember how I felt seeing this, but I also wondered how other drivers on the interstate felt seeing this message, if this was a message of hope for them or something that brought them anxiety on their daily drive. Of course, May 21st came, and then May 22nd came, and again, nothing happened. And so Harold pushed his prediction back to October, and then into the next year, and then a few more times, but by that point, no one was listening. The reason I bring all this up today is because it's normal for us to want to know what the future is going to look like. It's part of our human nature to to desire to know not only the end of our own story, but to know how our own shared story will end. Having someone stand in front of us and give us easy answers, ones that are definitive, that leave little room for question, this gives us some level of comfort. It causes us to have one less thing to worry about and it reassures us that we know something else that other people do not. It gives us certainty when we feel afraid or unsure. Now, as we turn to the gospel this morning, Jesus himself talks about his second coming. And he is speaking to his disciples and he is telling them the signs that they might notice around them. He tells them that the sun will stop giving light and the moon will stop shining and the stars will begin to fall, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And he tells them that when these things begin to happen, they will know that the second coming, his return, is near. He tells them that this is like the lesson of the fig tree, that when a fig tree's branches become tender, that one can touch the branches and know that summer is just around the corner. But what's interesting is he follows that part by telling them that no one knows the day or the hour. It's interesting that all of these people who have stood before congregations and talked on radio and television and published books always seem to leave this verse out, that no one knows the day or the hour when this thing actually happens, the second coming of Christ. And I think what is more interesting is that during the first advent, and I mean the very first advent, Before the Messiah, before the Savior had ever shown up, people had been waiting for hundreds, thousands of years for this Messiah to come. And they were waiting and imagining what it might be like once the Savior came, and so they had images in their mind, stories that they had told each other, and what they expected was a king. They expected a warrior. They expected someone to come, a fully formed adult, that would come and liberate them from their oppressors and set them free and allow them to become the people that they believed that they had been called to be. But when Jesus came, when the Messiah finally showed up, this was not who they got. Not a fully formed adult, not a king or a warrior, but a little baby. A small infant born to a poor family. An infant that was totally dependent upon his parents for protection, And for food, he could do nothing on his own. He had to grow up, he had to go through puberty. He had all the same questions that you and I have as people who exist in the world. This was not the Messiah that they had imagined. And so, if people got it that wrong the first time, maybe, just maybe, we have gotten it wrong, many of us, about what the second coming of Christ will be like. At the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus ascends into heaven and he tells his followers that he is going to send them a comforter. And sometime later, the disciples are gathered together in an upper room and the Holy Spirit comes on them. And for the first time, really, these, this first century church gets filled with the Holy Spirit and becomes the body of Christ on earth. They become the hands and feet, They had waited in this upper room for some mission, for some direction, to know what it was that they were called to do and who it was that they were called to be. Looking back at the gospel passage this morning, Jesus talks about his return as something that will happen before that generation passes away. Not as something that will happen in some further dispensation. Not something that we can put on our calendars and wait for, but something that possibly has already happened and continues to happen each and every day when the church answers yes to the calling of being the body of Christ in the world. I don't know if there is some day in the future, some calendar event, some singular event where Jesus returns in the way that many have predicted. I don't know the answer to that question. And to give you an answer would be a lie. But what I can tell you is that Jesus has come back and Jesus continues to come back each and every day through us, the church. The more and more that we answer yes to the calling of God to be who we are called to be, and to do the things that we are called to do. This is the second coming happening all around us. Maybe all of this sounds very theoretical. So what does this mean for us on a practical level? And why are we talking about it on the very last day of our generosity campaign? The truth is, is that there are miraculous things that happen through the mundane tasks that we do each and every day. And the answer to the miracle that the world needs is for us to be the church. Now you hear uh, the language of we, we do the liturgy here, correct? But have you ever looked up or thought about what the liturgy means? The word liturgy literally means the work of the people. In other words, it is the work that we have been given to do. And oftentimes we think that what we are called to do as a church is all out there, and yes, that's part of it. But we cannot do out there what we're called to do unless we first commit ourselves to doing the work that we have been given. For us, on a practical level, we have been called to do the liturgy. We have been commanded to baptize new believers, And to, as a people, gather together and to take communion over and over and over again. Because it is what transforms us into the people of God. For many years I have said the liturgy for me is like I'm a pebble on the seashore. And the liturgy is like a wave crashing over me over and over and over again, forming me into the shape of what I am supposed to be. But it takes time. And so on this Continuing the Journey Sunday, the call that I ask you to answer is to keep being the church. In this moment where many churches have stopped meeting, in this, in this moment where many churches are asking the question, what does our future look like in two months or three months or six months or a year? The thing that I ask you to do is to keep showing up, whether it's online or in person, whether it's writing a check to the church or donating your time or your talents, every little bit counts because there is much work to do. And the work that we do here at this table prepares us for what we are called to do outside of this church. And this world is broken. And this world is, in de- is desiring healing. And there are people, literally just a stone's throw from us, who desperately need the love of Jesus and we are called to bring it to them. But we must answer yes to being the body of Christ in the world. The second coming is not something that we have to fear. It is happening all around us and we are part of it. And our first task is to answer yes. Amen.